Well, I could tell you a story uh, or two or three maybe <laughs> about times in my life when I've been angry. Not just with life um, or you know, whatever it had served up to me, but, but actually like with God, angry with God. Even yesterday morning, yesterday morning through, through pain-filled tears, I said to God, it's not fair. It's not fair. I've accused God in the past. I've yelled at him. <laughs> I know. I know there's a big confession, but I've sworn at him before. I said, how dare you? Other times I've just been confused and perplexed. You know, just wrestling and, and wriggling and honestly just with an honest heart, just wanting to understand. Not, not so much to fight, but God, why? why? Why are you doing this? What, what are you hoping to achieve? And sometimes I've just been out of words. And I've just been, just been sad. Yeah, I could, I could tell you stories. We could spend all of this afternoon together. We or this evening together. In fact, you know what? We could probably even do both, this afternoon and this evening, and I could recount to you a few of the hard times, the times that have stretched me. And they've stretched my faith too. Especially, you know, when you take the struggles of life, but you put them into the context of, of faith and Jesus especially if faith is supposed to reach into real life. You, you got a story too? <laughs> I don't even have to ask some of you. I'm thinking of a bunch of my dear friends in our church family. And you, you guys, you've just had one test after another. For some of you, it's been years, one thing after another. Redundancies, abuse, illness, suffering, death, prison, violence, workloads too heavy to bear, grueling family dynamics. Uh, the first time we as a family ever went up to Bulacan province uh, in the Philippines, it was to visit, you know, many of, many of you know Sabina, our, our dear friend and sister Sabina and her beautiful daughter Hannah. Um, and Sabina's hometown in the Philippines. We went up to visit them on their rice farm and, and you see this, this truck <laughs> and it, it made me wonder when I saw it. Could you possibly get anything more onto it? You know, you know, my friend, when you feel stretched and when your faith's being stretched, like an overloaded truck, because if you've got faith, you'll know you can bank it that it will be stretched. 
And does it feel like, you know, like bang, 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 bang. Like this poor little guy. Watch him. <laughs> the poor guy. You know, one after another. You know, hard things in life are just, well, well, they're just that, aren't they? They're hard. And depending on how hard they are, they, 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 they can be agonising, they can be confusing, they can be frustrating, they can be humiliating, and they can be flat-out infuriating too. So, how does Jesus then want me to see the trials in my life? That's what I'm asking. Because I automatically assume, listen carefully to this, I automatically assume that Jesus wants me to see my trials like I do and that, that he sees them like I do. But does he? Hey, does he? We wanted to go looking for some truth here at the Mill Park Baptist, not just this morning, but these next few weeks. Some, some truth about faith. Because we hear so much about the way to God. But we don't always hear so much about the walk with God. And James, this is a short, it's a letter. You know, in biblical terms, we call it an epistle. It's in our Bibles. And it sits right toward the back of your Bible in the New Testament. But it's probably actually the first New Testament letter that was written. Somewhere around 40 to 50 A.D., it's written by James, and as Paul said earlier, he's universally recognized as, as James, the brother, the younger brother, and technically the half-brother. Same, same mum, but you know who Jesus' dad is, don't you? Brother of Jesus. And this book of James, which he wrote, Brother of Jesus, it talks about what authentic faith is actually looks like, how it's lived out, like how it's proven. It's, it's not so much about what you have to do to get the faith, but it's much more about how your life will increasingly look once you do get the faith. Now right up, friends, up front, friends, it's hard hitting. It's a letter that's written to Jews and they're scattered abroad. They're scattered from Jerusalem early in the peace, especially around the persecution of the early church. And for many of us now, especially now in this age, we're used to the good news of Jesus. You've been around Mill Park Baptist Church for any length of time you are. So if someone says to us, hey, so what do I have to do to be saved. 
then we're inclined to say, hey, nothing at all. Salvation is by grace alone through faith. You heard those words before? So all you have to do is believe in Jesus. Now James, though, in this book, now he, he never says that salvation, so getting to know Jesus, being saved, he, he never says that salvation is not by grace alone through faith. But he does say that if faith is real, it shows. So it can sound a bit like, if you read James, it can sound a bit like he's saying, well, you've got to do whatever to earn your salvation. You know, we call that works. You've got to do works to earn your salvation. And that's why the German reformer, you know, you heard of Martin Luther. He's, he's the champion. He stood up against the Catholic Church and, and, and against the church of the day. He's the champion of salvation by grace. He said salvation is just by grace. It's, it's the goodness. It's the gift of God. You know, Martin Luther, he called James this letter. He, he didn't even want this letter to be in the Bible. He said it shouldn't be in the Bible. And he called it an epistle of straw. It's hard hitting, all right. But it's going to tell you, if you're going to listen in these next few weeks, it's going to tell you all about real faith and what happens when faith gets stretched, when it gets pressed, when it gets distressed. My friend, my friend, if you need some strength, more so if, if you're like me, this, this last week when I've felt stretched, then you're going to get some energy and perspective and some joy through this book of James. Trust me, you will. Get real. That's its message. Get real. And look, if you're being stretched, if your faith's being stretched, come, let's take a look at the opening words in James's letter with me because this is all about when your faith's being stretched. More so, God's saying, faith that doesn't break when it gets stretched. So just come with me for a minute this morning and take a look. Look at this, opening words of the book of James. This letter is from James, a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. It is written to Jewish Christians scattered among the nations. Greetings. And now, when your faith's being stretched, James chapter 1, verse 2, and it is deep for me to talk to you on this. You know what? You know why? Because these words, the words I'm going to read to you right now, and they're coupled with some others that, that come from 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 8 to 10. So those few verses, my friend, they have literally kept me 
alive in the last few years. There were times when I did not think I could take one more step. And these words that we're about to look at now told me that I could. But you know what? Sometimes these words took the step for me. Powerful, powerful words. Look what James says. Dear brothers and sisters, whenever troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you'll be perfect and complete, needing nothing. When your face being stretched, James starts out here in telling us how to respond. He said, consider, like consider it an opportunity for great joy. Now, that, that's upside down. He doesn't say, be joyful. He didn't, he didn't say that you've got to feel something. Consider, and the way that that's written in the ancient Greek language, a couple of things, it's, a, it's actually an instruction or a command, and there's a sense of urgency to it. And it's pointing to a definite action. So this is asking you when your faith is being stretched, minor, major, anywhere in between. To consider means that it's asking you to make an intellectual decision to know that this is actually good for you. Even when that goes strongly against everything that you feel and experience. Yeah? Um, and then he, he said, whenever troubles come your way. So troubles, they're usually random and unpredictable. And you're like that little kid running around on the deck trying to pick up the balls. Like, you know, like one thing after another. You just think you're getting one done and another one. And, and then before you even get one done, another one. Whenever You see, they're unavoidable, they're unpredictable, they're random. And the word that's used here is, is broad because it's literally talking about troubles of any kind at all. Real faith learns how to make a resolute decision. And, and you know, here's the thing. We're not usually good at making that decision right away. It's something that we get better and better at making that decision the longer that life goes on and the longer that we keep submitting to it and, and the more trials that get encountered. But it's to make a resolute decision that this is an opportunity for great joy. And why would you say that? Why, why, would you, why would you say this is an opportunity for great joy? 
Why? Why? Yesterday morning, I, I, I just don't have time to explain it all to you now, you know, but for me, an experience that I 100% didn't see coming, totally out of the blue, but it left me early in the morning, yesterday morning on the family room floor on my hands and my knees just weeping. How on earth would you look at that and say, here's an opportunity for great joy? Who in their right mind would do that? Well, here's why. Because we know, it says that we know for sure, like we're assured that when our faith is tested, our endurance has a chance to grow. We're going to build muscle. And it's up to you, my friend, whether or not you're going to let it grow. You see, to let it grow, that's just not there that you, that you give it permission. Okay, well, you can grow if you want to. What it means, it's a command, again, in the Greek language, and it's actually putting you on guard against the ultimate, oh, sorry, the untimely danger that we've all got. And that is that like, we're good at this. We want to squirm out of trials. So as soon as I'm weeping on the floor, I want to stop crying and stop feeling sad. We want to squirm out of trials. We, we know how to manipulate circumstances so that we can end trials. And we want to buy our way out. Like we pay cash sometimes. Or we ignore it, or we deny it, or we bury it. And God says, no, no, don't do that. Consider it pure joy, he says, and sit with it while it does its work in your life. Whatever you do, don't try and fast track it. And when it's done, you'll be amazingly better off for the experience. That's why. My friend, allow God to teach you that trials are really good for you. Faith that doesn't, doesn't break when it's stretched actually makes a decision. And we emphasize it's a decision that we get better and better at making the longer we keep cooperating, to treat the trial like a joy. The, the natural human reaction to trials is to complain, to brood in self-pity, otherwise, otherwise we'd just be stoic with grim fortitude. Well, God says no. Remember we said, does Jesus see it the same way we do? No, no. His way is walk through it. Even when it's excruciating or infuriating or confusing or just plain sad. And then when your faith's being stretched, then you might pray. And we often do, don't we? You might not. But we often pray. Well, here he tells you what to pray for. And he says, don't ask nearly so much for the trial to be finished. It's the natural, instinctive thing to pray for. But, but, but don't ask just for that, and don't ask 
as much for that. I mean, because why would you? If you're learning to see this as good, why would you ask for it to be finished? He says, no, no, ask God for wisdom. Ask him for wisdom so that you can see his ways and perceive his thoughts. And ask him for wisdom that shows how even Jesus... You know, it says in Hebrews chapter 12, and if you look in the message version, it says, keep your eyes on Jesus, listen, who both began and finished this race that we're in. Study how he did it, it says. Because he never lost sight of where he was headed, that exhilarating finish in and with God, he could put up with anything along the way, cross, shame, whatever. So, you see, ask Jesus for wisdom. Look at this in verse 5, James 1. If you need wisdom, in other words, if you're floundering in trials and if you're feeling the weight, then you need it because wisdom will help you to see into it. And here, look carefully because this is right after verses 2 to 4. To the degree that you're not yet capable of seeing your trials as good, as an opportunity for joy, then you need wisdom, all right? So if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Such people should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Their loyalty is divided between God and the world, and they are unstable in everything they do. My friend, ask God for wisdom. He's not saying, I'm not saying... Don't ask for the trial to pass because you're instinctive. I had that experience not so long back. I've told a few of all the story and they, 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 I think they, they wonder, was I going to self-harm? No, 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 not at all. Never even entered my mind to self-harm. But I was putting some wood in the fire at home and I saw those coals glowing and I thought to myself, I wonder what it would be like to touch those coals. And then as I sat there, I thought, I wonder, would it be possible for me to touch those coals and hold my hand against the coals? And even though it was hurting, not to pull my hand away. Uh, I don't think it you see, it's instinctive. God's not asking you to go against your instincts. But he's saying, ask for wisdom. My friend, allow God to teach you that trials are really good for you. And when your faith's being stretched, he also wants you to know how to perceive. Look, look here in verse 9. This, this is profound. Believers who, have poor, who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honoured them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. 
They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. You know, um, in first century Palestine there, well known amongst people, like there's an abundance of springtime wildflowers. But when the summer heat comes, those wildflowers that looked so fantastic, they quickly wither, shrivel and die. And so those flowers, what James is using there is a, is a popular oriental proverb of speech. And it's helping people just to be reminded of the transitoriness of life. It's quick. And if you see our friend here, you know, our sister in, in the Philippines, in this place which is, which is known as happy land. She's in happy land. Yeah, she's with her kids and she's, she's living there in this deserted old warehouse on the docks of the Bay of Manila. And this is happy land. Like my, my friend, I've been to a lot of places in the world. This is, this is the hardest place in the world I've ever been to. She's living in that building with thousands and thousands of other people. There's no Centrelink. There's no job keeper. There's no job seeker. There's no Medicare. And I don't know what her background is. I don't know if she has a husband or a partner. But you tell me, when you see her, let's just say her faith is being stretched. How many options has she got? Not many. You and I got more options a lot of the time, haven't we? I mean, I got private health insurance so I can pay to go to a private hospital and get the surgeon I choose. I'm not making fun of you if that's the case, but, but see, it gives you an option. The more means we've got, the less likely we are to look to God. That's why God says there, you should boast. And he's not saying it sarcastically, if you're rich, you should boast. No, you should boast because he says, because God has humbled you. In other words, God has helped you and he will help you to see that it doesn't matter what you've got. It's not going to give you wisdom and it's not going to solve your problem. And it's not going to meet your trial. Allow God to teach you, my friend, that trials are really good for you. And then he gives us this rock-solid promise. And remember that God's promises are backed by all the honour of his holy name. He says, when your faith's being stretched... Look what will happen. It's in verse 12. This is a promise. It's a promise. 
Get your highlighter out right now, like highlight it in your Bible. Here's a promise. God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. So they don't fast track it. They don't squirm out of it. They don't manipulate the circumstances. They patiently endure it. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. And I encourage you to allow God to teach you that trials are really good for you and you're thinking well okay well, we can do that how 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 i do that i, I want to give you just three little suggestions this morning and they're suggestions that these are not authoritative and they're not exhaustive but they're straight out of the jeff shepherd journey here's what i've been trying to do and i'm a work in progress and I'm learning to do these more but here's the way of responding to trials first thing is to be seeking and by seeking you know we we mean we're searching we're looking so for me that's that's reading I have read I've lost count of how many books I've read especially in these last few years. And Deb, my wife, she mocks me and she makes fun of me and she says, you're reading so many books, you're clutching for answers. And I'm like, you better believe it. Yes, I'm clutching for answers. Reading, learning, listening, asking questions, sitting in silence. journaling you know yesterday morning when i had that experience um once deb woke up i went in and i told her about it and and my beautiful wife her counsel you know we talked it through and she was really really good with me thanks deba um and she just gently encouraged me she said why don't you just go sit on the couch and why don't you just write it down just just write down everything that happened and how you're feeling and what you're thinking about she says and these these classic words and and just sit with it don't run away from it just sit with it that's seeking looking it's being curious it's just looking for answers allow God to teach you that trials are really good for you and secondly allowing yeah that's critical just for, for us to be able to accept our situations because we so confidently assume that as soon as something's not the way that we want it to be and especially if it's something that's really really bad by human standards we just automatically assume that this is sub-optimal and instead with God and with his help and with his grace and his goodness and his love to be able to accept our situations and then to allow him to change our attitude and for the longest time 
I've struggled with this. You know, thank God and, and all credit only to God. I, I'm well, well on the way now to not doing this anymore, but it was the biggest struggle is I felt like the minute I accept my situation and stop bristling against it, the minute I do allow God to change my attitude to thinking that trials are good for me, for the longest time, my friend, I was thinking, you know what? As soon as I do that, I give God permission for it to always be this way. And I can't do that. It's June 2018. I I was in Manila in the Philippines and Jake, my son, w was with me and, and then we were meeting up. We, we, we'd travelled over but we were meeting up that day with a group of guys, um, uh, a number of, number of men um, and several of them former players from Richmond Football Club. We're meeting up with them and we're taking them for the day into Smoky Mountain, Manila and Tondo. Um, and I remember kind of waking up that morning I had slept very little the night before this was this was well back into my personal journey and I woke up and I felt like I had nothing in me and um, I said God I don't know I'm going to do this because like these guys like that I got to be on my game today we're going in Smoky Mountain like, I, mean, I, I got to I've got to know how to guide these guys. They haven't been in there before. I don't know I'm going to do this. And somehow then in the, the strength of Jesus, you know, we, we go through the day and the day actually ended up going really well. And then I can remember then when we're on the, the train, the LRT it's called in Manila, we're on the train coming back and I started feeling so bad all over again. And I got home and then that night I'm on the phone calling Deb and saying, hey man, Jesus just, he got me through the day and he didn't just get me through, like it went really well. And Deb's on the end of the phone, she's saying, hey, that's, that's awesome, we've got to celebrate that, we've got to celebrate that, that's good, thanks be to God. And I'm like, Deb... I can't, can't thank God for that because if I thank God for that, then that means, that means that I've always got to do days like that. Can I encourage you to allow God to teach you that trials are really good for you? And just finally, you know, my friends, the third one is what I call opening. And by opening, I mean to others not necessarily to the whole world not to the whole world but to a trusted group of brothers sisters friends who will walk with you not all of them will be your counselors not all of them will be advisors some of them will be just fellow travelers but not one of us was ever designed to do this alone. 
I want to encourage you to allow God to teach you that trials are really good for you. Verses I read before from Hebrews chapter 12. You want to just pray with me while I, I read this to you? God says, keeping our eyes on Jesus. This is what you can do this week, keeping our eyes on Jesus. He's the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. Jesus died on the cross. Not just to save you from the naughty, nasty, dark realities of sin. Like he absolutely died to do that. But not just that. He died to give you the opportunity to say, Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I accept your forgiveness for for the sin nature that's in me. And remember, the sin nature doesn't just get you to do all these naughty things. The sin nature is, is what screws up life and what screws up our world. So thank you, Jesus, for dying for me. And I accept your gift of forgiveness for my sin nature. Um, and what that means then is that as you then surrender to Jesus as the Lord of your life, He saves you. He sets you free. And He gives you eternal life. And eternal life is not just something in the future. Eternal life starts now when you know Jesus. So my friends, pray with me and, and just come with me on this. You know, like the people who are listening now. And, and my friend, you need to know Jesus to know him I just want to give you that opportunity now just this this gracious loved on invitation just reach out to him and say Jesus thank you for dying on the cross for me Jesus thank you for taking the punishment the penalty for all of my sin and my sin nature and Jesus I accept your forgiveness. I am sorry for my sin. And I now surrender my life. I surrender my life to you. And my friend, if you've done that today, then you know what? You've just been saved. And, and then, my friend, if you're here, and your faith is being stretched as we speak. I pray for you and I pray Holy Spirit now that you'll help each one of us to actually allow you to teach us that trials are really good for us. We entrust all of this to you, Jesus.